We were here for about a couple of years, had an amazing time. My dad finished his uh, thesis for his PhD in educational management from SC. He also did some stuff at Columbia. And then we traveled really, really well. And they're like, you know what? Okay, great. We're educators. Let's go back. You know, our job is to educate and our duty is towards, towards our students and as a nation as a whole. So we actually went back to Iran after the revolution. And oh boy, I got to tell you, it was, it was really, really interesting. Even at the age that I was 10, it was literally someone took the clock and went back a few hundred years. Just terrible. The Iran that we knew when we left and we go back two years, it was night and day. Uh, and it was not night and day in a good way, by the way. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to tell your friends, especially your friends that don't live in the Midwest, love to spread the word on finding great careers and figuring out what it takes to get there. And today we have someone with a fantastic story. We've got Alex Dasmalchi, the founder of VanityPlanet.com and Cove Audio, also deep into social justice charities. I've known Alex for a long time, one of the greatest people I know. We're going to get into business to consumer marketing and sales, online product sales, and how he has democratized beauty products. He's bringing the best of beauty products to the people of the world. Excellence for him is not thinking outside the box, but inventing your own box. And Alex has had some adversity. You're going to hear about it, some crazy adversity. And he says, adversity is what you make of it. Don't waste a good challenge. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Alex Dasmalchi from Iran to Austria to Costa Mesa to Newport Beach. Thank you so much for making time out of your busy day of making yourself look beautiful and I guess directing stuff to come on the show. And we're going to start off with a big welcome. And what is your definition of excellence? You're awesome. Thanks to be with you and your audience. I appreciate that very much. Uh, that's a pretty loaded question. I love that definition of excellence. I think it could just be so much in there, just bundled up in a uh, definition of excellence. But to me, it's like, you know, what do you, how do you define yourself as a human being? What's your integrity? But when you do something, how much do you actually put an effort into it? Uh, I believe definition of excellence is being focused. It's being good to others. It's being good to yourself and your loved ones. And, you know, I could just go down the path. But in terms of business, I think definition of excellence to me is knowing that you're not always right, surrounding yourself with good people and being able to... Uh, just, you know, have a really, really good vision and getting after it. All right. So excellence in business is about the team and you're the vision. You help bring the vision. You help foster the vision and you help put the team together. And then the business is excellent. But as the individual, it's about integrity, hard work, focus, and how you impact others as you move through life. It is. Giving back is a big part of it. And not just giving back internally in your family, but to yourself and to everybody else as a human race, I think that's another big part of uh, who we are. It's a it's a fine balance to me. I don't think you can be excellent at one thing and not the other. Does that make sense? I think that if you're excellent at work, but you're not excellent at home, if you're excellent at home, but you're not excellent in, the, in your community, uh, I think the balance of all of this will will make for a perfect excellence everywhere. And it gives you, because if one is off, then the other one is going to be off for sure. Seems like your definition of excellence includes just about everything you could possibly have, but we're going to come back to it because you threw a bunch of things in there 
And I know you, Alex, and I've known you a long time, but today, today is the first day I looked you up online. And I did not know, one, that you were a director. Two, I did not know that you were such a great brand ambassador of your own private brand. And I, I went to Vegas and I met some young millennial NFT slinging awesome influencers. I mean, talked about personal brands. And when I researched you, I found out you're pretty damn good at marketing your personal brand. I want to go back to before you were this beautiful man using all these wonderful products uh, that are sold on the Vanity Planet website that you helped found Um, back to way back in time. You're in Iran. You're in high school. I got to hear, you know, what life was like. This this shows mostly, you know, American people raised in American houses get a few people that uh, have immigrated, but not many that immigrated during a revolution, had to raise money, had to sneak into another country with the, what I assume was a fake passport, had to raise money to come to the U.S. So what was life like for you in war-torn uh, Iran and getting out of Iran to the U.S.? Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of give you a high level. I was born in a really, really awesome family, mom and dad, both educators, lots of love. There's four of us uh, as siblings, which is awesome. And this is pre-revolution. So I was there till eight. At the age of eight, my dad actually came here. This was right before the revolution. He was sent here by the previous regime, the Shah of Iran. They send a select few educators to come here and go back to Iran, come here, finish their studies, go back to Iran and redefine our educational system. Iran and the U.S. at the time had a pretty awesome relationship and it was a lot of fun. So my dad came out and immediately after there were sparks of revolution. So he calls mom up and he's like, grab the kids and come over. You guys are not staying in Iran. So we were fortunate that we uh, literally right before the revolution actually started, we, we were here in the U.S., which was great. We were here for about a couple of years, had an amazing time. My dad finished his uh, thesis for his Ph.D. in educational management from SC. He also did some stuff at Columbia, and then we traveled really, really well. And they're like, you know what? Okay, great. We're educators. Let's go back. You know, our job is to educate, and our duty is towards towards our students and as a nation as a whole. So we actually went back to Iran after the revolution. And oh boy, I got to tell you, it was it was really, really interesting. Even at the age that I was ten, it was literally someone took the clock and went back a few hundred years just terrible. The Iran that we knew when we left and we go back two years, it was night and day. Soon after that, uh, and it was not night and day in a good way, by the way, soon after that, the Iran-Iraq war sparked. I still remember I was at home, it was in the middle of the day, and sirens went off and they bombed the airport. And that's the first place, by the way, they bombed. It was the airport, so people don't get out. And it was all the military bases and our air defense and Iran prior to the revolution was, I think, the fifth largest military power in the world, a really strong ally of the U.S. So the war started. And then I already told you it was like set back with the revolution a few hundred years, this war now. And we're sleeping in bunkers and they're flying over, dropping bombs so I got to tell you, uh, again, our family unit really strong and amazing, but it wasn't a whole lot of fun for me until I was 16 when I left. One of the last tests that I took at school, we show up at school and there was a bomb that had dropped in the yard of the school, but it never detonated. There was this massive hole and they had taped it off like around it so people don't fall in. We're in the room actually taking an exam Behind us, half of our wall is gone. And with bulldozers, they're trying to go through rubbles of a few homes that had actually been bombed. I don't know if they were looking for any survivors or whatnot. So I pushed back. I didn't want to stay. Uh, And I'll tell you now, I kind of pivot into business. When I was 12 or 13 years old, I, I was always a dreamer. I had a lot of vision. And for me, my visions and my dreams were really vivid. I would sit around or walk. And I knew one day I'm going to have my own business. I had had this thing at the time. uh, It's so interesting how if you really believe in your vision, it will come true. I'm like, one day I'm going to have my own office. I'm going to have my own employees. And I go to work, my own team. 
they're amazing and it's got to be such good energy and it, it just it was just so vivid for me so with that i knew that there is not any future in iran so i convinced my parents and i don't know you know god bless them they're amazing but i convinced my parents to agree to get me smuggled out of iran because at the age of 14 as a male in iran you were no longer able to travel you were banned your passport was taken you wouldn't even be given a passport and uh, because of what was going on in the war and you would have to enroll by the age of 18 or go to a university that's if you're lucky and you can get in so i uh, convinced my parents to let me get smuggled out i it was 1986 a uh, summer day i got smuggled out of the southern border of iran i flew out there with my brother-in-law couldn't tell anybody couldn't tell my family couldn't tell my friends couldn't tell anyone and uh really difficult for my parents i flew to the southern border of iran to a city called zahedan and i waited for the smuggler for hours he finally showed up picked me up threw me in the back of a truck and next thing you know they threw a canopy over me and there was a couple of other people in the truck laying down in the back and uh, we made it to a safe house we were there for two nights until they thought that the border is clear we then proceeded to go in through the desert through the border and got shot at at this at the Iranian side of the border finally made it to the uh, Pakistan uh, side of the other side we made it to Pakistan we got shot at on the other side as well but it was really interesting finally made it through to Pakistan stayed there for a month and uh from there we went to i went to austria and a few others as well spent about a year there and uh during my year in austria it was really expensive i had a lot of pride i didn't want to call my parents they were teachers we came from a upper middle class family but still with the conversion at the time it would have been ridiculous for them to send more money so i started working at night i would uh I would uh, go out and uh, sweep sidewalks during uh, the winter time in Vienna and I got to tell you it gets I mean it gets cold so we would layer up and at night we would go and stand in line we were given a pick or a shovel or whatever and then go and proceed and clean sidewalks the ice clear the snow from 5 p.m. till 5 a.m. and then I would go work right after that at 7 a.m. I'd go to a belt factory and I'd punch holes in belts these beautiful custom made leather belts which were great so it was that was uh you know my way of trying to support myself i had 14 roommates uh in a five bedroom uh home there was 15 of us in total all guys and uh, i saved up enough money i then like kind of opened up a sandwich stand little sandwich shop if you will and uh I was there for 11 months until I finally made it to the US. Now I did not come here with a fake passport. I was fortunate enough that all of that was set up for me. Um right after we left Iran, the UN uh came in and was great. They gave us a passport, a travel document if you will. And then Austria Vienna at the time they were really generous and amazing and they gave us uh, Austrian passports. and we got interviewed at the US embassy before we came here all of our paperwork was done and i came in as uh, as a legal resident and who who were you with oh i was with a group of strangers there was men women children uh it was interesting from all religions mostly the jewish iranians that unfortunately they couldn't travel after the revolution now that has changed but uh boy there was all sorts of people So you're with a group of refugees that all escaped um looking to find a different life. You can hook up with the UN, you come to the US and the rest of your family is still in Iran. Yep. And I forget if you have you have one brother, don't you? No, you have a sister. I have a brother. Everyone is here now, which is amazing. I have one younger brother who's actually he's uh the medical director was the chief of medicine medical director at one of the prominent uh organizations here in Orange County Monarch 
And uh, my two sisters are both here as well. They're both older than me. One of them works with me. The other one has got her own business, which is a lot of fun. Mom and dad are here as well. So it took us 13 years to reunite as a family. I came first, then my little brother came, and he was 14. I was 17 at the time, almost 18. And he was with me for about a year. And then my mom and dad came, which was great. And one of my sisters and her husband, and finally my other sister and her husband. Well, what a, what a timely story since uh, the Ukraine invasion began two days ago. We record these early and they come out later. So what a timely story. And, you know, we I bring people on the show. You know, you know, a bunch of them, our friend group, people that I used to work with. I like to hear the stories of high school. It usually goes like, oh, I was a screw off and I figured it out and changed my life. Or, you know, I was doing the sports and working the jobs and uh, the leader of this and the captain of that. And then I went to college and figured out I was just a small fish. So we have a typical story of uh, either screwing off in high school and figuring it out sometime in college or just, you know, crushing it with the Western experience, doing well with sports, doing well with clubs, captain of this, um, prom king of that. Um, Your story is probably more common globally. Since we live in this bubble and we have such a great life here in the United States, you know, in different countries, especially right now with the invasion of Ukraine happening, there's these experiences that really are tough and not everybody gets to get out. Not everybody gets to turn their dream into a reality. You went through all this tough time and later in life, you create Vanity Planet after quite a few other companies. So I know a little bit about Vanity Planet. I know you're bringing the spot tools into the home. I know you're very concerned about making it affordable. I know you're very concerned about access. How did, in addition to the vision that you set as a kid of having this office, how did these experiences help you form your values? And how was someone else that's in their 20s right now, maybe a little older than you were at at the time, use some of their struggles to form their values that may one day become a really cool business with a really cool team like Vanity Planet is. Yeah. And that's actually the part that gets me excited. You mentioned that this is unique for your show. The reason I'd explain to everyone my life story and everyone has a unique life story and every story is unique and amazing. The reason I shared it is because to ignite the fact that If you really believe it, despite the cards that you're dealt with in life, you actually can make it. The reason I share that and I put an emphasis on it and I talk to a lot of the younger folks is that, listen, I, you know, adversity is not bad. Everything in life is the way you look at it. So with the passion and the drive and the vision that I had, it didn't matter how much adversity was thrown my way. I I was convinced that I could do it. So my message to everyone is everything starts and it stops with you. If me as an example, as an immigrant, as a refugee that made it here, that barely spoke English at the age of 16, left my country, 17, made it here. If I came here with no resources and I did not speak the language and it was a complete cultural shock, right? Trying to figure all of that out at that age alone. I got to tell you, the only thing that made me do it is because the fact that I never doubted myself. I had a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. I believed that anything could be done and I, and I went after it. Now I'm not, you know, there's some amazingly brilliant people in the world. Do you think Elon Musk, if, uh, do you think he understands or he even thinks that something can't be done? Yeah. So I I noticed that people are either running from something. And I know a lot of people with similar stories to yours, you know, a lot of people that were doing what you were doing at the same time. And, you know, they're running from something. And then there's a few people that are running to something. And, you know, we have these classes on how to raise wealthy kids. So they have that drive that their parents or their grandparents had. And so they can continue kind of living the American dream. What, what do you think it is about that incredible struggle that gave you the never doubting confidence that it gave you? I think at first, again, starts with what you want and what you want in life or believe like, you know, we can go down that path and speak about it for hours. But that all, you know, I mean, you get conditioned as a kid, your, you know, your family, your environment, your society, what you're told, school. 
So there's all of these conditionings and some of them kind of make some people, unfortunately, that, oh, yeah, you're not going to be able to do it or it makes them fearful or or just makes them not have that self-confidence and self-esteem. I think that's one part of it. But the other part is adversity and struggles. I got to tell you, it's actually not a bad thing at all because it tempers you. It weathers you. It makes you stronger. It makes you, you know, if you haven't had any adversity, if you haven't had any challenges in life, and I'm not, I would not pray or ask for anyone to go through the challenges that, you know, I went through. Or actually, when I look at mine, I'm like, hmm, that actually wasn't all that bad. There are people in the world that, you know, unfortunately have way more severe um, struggles and uh, challenges. So mine, when I look at it, I'm like, oh, actually, that wasn't all that bad. And it gave me that drive even more. It strengthened my drive. It strengthened my vision that I can get after it. So I think it all starts with you. You got to believe in yourself and believe that you can do whatever it is that you want to do. And not everyone has to have their own business. Some people want to be an excellent co-pilot and they'll make an excellent co-pilot. Some people want to be amazing in philanthropy and make a make a change, make a sustainable change. And that's great as well. Or just having a really good job, doing an amazing job for your team. Being a part of a team is also really awesome. It's rewarding. But what I'm saying is no matter what you do, the path that you choose in life, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to have fun with it, be passionate about it, have vision around it, and go execute it. And every time that you're told no, or you tell yourself no, or you doubt yourself, just know that you actually are in control of what your future is or what you think or what you want to do. Yeah. So we we don't wish that on anybody. And uh, God bless everybody in Ukraine right now that's going through some of the stuff that you went through. As you push yourself and you take risks and you challenge yourself, you interact with adversity. And as you beat back adversity and as you have a couple wins, it doesn't have to be getting shot at and living. It doesn't have to be escaping a country. But you, if you're listening right now in the car, you can find risks to take that maybe aren't life-threatening. You can challenge yourself. You can put yourself in a position to face adversity. And as you beat that and win a few times, you get more confident and that vision becomes more clear. And that's what happened to you. You came to the U.S. So you didn't go to high school. You went, did you go to college or straight to MBA? Did you skip college and high school and just go to the MBA? Yeah. So just to kind of build a little more on what you said, but what's happening in Ukraine, I, I looked at it and I had flashbacks and it was not cool. And my heart goes out to them and I pray for them and, and, you know, for anyone that is in war or their families, their lives are in danger. So that's, that's not good. The adversity that I think is not bad is again, to your point, you said it perfectly. It's challenging yourself. You know, you could, you could just sit around and not do anything and say that, ah, you know, this is going to be hard, or you can put yourself in those situations that you're now exploring. You're kind of getting, you're pushing your limits. You're on the edge, not too much where you're stressed and, and, you know, you're, you're going to be counterproductive, but keep yourself on the edge, push yourself harder and harder. Now you mentioned high school. I actually, uh, I, I did two and one in Iran. My, again, my parents were educators. So I finished my high school in Iran at the age of 16. So I graduated early when I finally made it here. I wanted to become a dentist. I don't know why. But that was kind of more of a cultural thing. I I actually had a question for you. Um, Did the beautiful teeth and skin come before Vanity Planet and you wanted other people to be able to look and and appear the way you do? Or did the Vanity Planet come and that's why your teeth and skin (laughs) look so good? No, the teeth, you can thank my dentist. He's amazing. But uh, uh that's the truth. That's funny. No, when I came in, I wanted to go to school and become a dentist. I actually went and took a job with my cousin and did construction. So I, uh, I've i always had a thing. Like for me, I, I was, uh, my skin was full of cystic acne. Like I'm talking about like massive cystic acne. It was the diet and the stress and what I ate and just hormonal, right? So I 
it, it, that kind of made my confidence just plummet. I had self-esteem issues just looking at myself in a mirror. As I was working in construction and then became an electrician, saved money, went and found this amazing doctor. I didn't go to just anyone. I went to Dr. Obaji in Beverly Hills. I spent two or three months of my paycheck. It was so expensive, but I still paid for it. And the results were actually great. That was always in the back of my mind. Why do things have to be so expensive? Why do they have to be only accessible to those that can afford it? Now, mind you, as I mentioned, I was an electrician and, and construction. I had side jobs and I was making two to three times more than any other person who was in the same position that I was at because I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop. I had my day job and then I was working at night on the weekends. So I could somewhat afford it. But I always thought, like, why, do, why does something have to be so expensive? And when you start looking at products and the way we do things, there are so many inefficiencies because as humans, we're not, uh, you don't welcome changes easy, believe it or not. So when something is done in a way, we just think that it's got to be done in the same way over and over and over again. But if you look at anything and you look at the efficiencies and you tweak them, then you can find some golden nuggets. So for me, when I started looking into products, I'm like, wow, you know, the product is ordered by someone Then it comes here and it's sold to another distributor. Then the distributor sells it to the other guy. Then the other guy gives it to the retailer and the retailer then puts their margins on. So it just extremely inefficient or the footprint of companies, some companies that we compete with are so large that they have thousands of employees. They have hundreds of people in R&D and other departments. And here we are, a company of uh, 40, low 40s, 42 people strong here in the U.S. And then we have a few in uh, some of the other countries that we work with we are able to compete now with these giants that in the past, it was impossible. And I think that's the exciting part of the world that I think anyone has access is uh, just amazing how much we have. I, you know, if I wanted to do something uh, when I was 18, 19, 20, you're younger than me, I think, but I'm pretty sure it was the same thing, right? It's not like we could get on the internet and search and find the exact thing that we need to want to learn and then order it. The next thing you know, it shows up at your doorstep. Absolutely not, right? So now everyone has access and access has become readily available. It's amazing. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence Bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. So before you got to that, though, um, I think we're the exact same age, dude. Yeah, I'm 52. Okay, now you're way older than me. Um, <laughs> that explains Love it. That explains it. Um, let's back up a little bit. So you you come across, and and you know this is for the person out there that maybe doesn't have all the advantages. This is for the person out there that thinks that you know maybe life's pretty rough. Um, you keep yourself on the edge, and you're pushing harder and harder and harder, and you're having these personal experiences. So you're how do you start a business? Well, you come up with an idea. How do you come up with an idea? Well, you look at your experiences. So you have this experience. You have to go get some uh, uh, acne care. It's super expensive. You're sitting there wondering, why is it so expensive? 
You start to think about it. You've got a problem to solve now. How do I get this to other people like me? I've been suffering. I want other people not to suffer. I'm a guy with integrity. I want to deliver to the world a, a little bit better than what's been delivered to me. And you're thinking and you're looking and you find, okay, um, there's all these uh, up, up charges. Everywhere these things are touched, there's an upcharge. I wonder if I can bridge the gap and pass that savings on to other people. But there was no internet then. So you, your first business wasn't in the healthcare business. Your first, your first, I think your second, your business before Vanity Planet was some sort of a beauty product, but I don't believe it was internet-based. I don't no, remember. No, it, wasn't, it wasn't even beauty. So you asked about college. I went to Pierce College and then I went to National University and kind of got my degree. But it was, for me, that was secondary. I learned most of my lessons and real life. Yeah. I got fired uh, at 18, uh, but I worked for my cousin as, a, as an electrician. Uh, I got fired and I'm like, oh, okay, great. I'm just going to go work for myself. Pretty audacious, right? Especially at that age and you just migrated here. So I got into a series of- Another opportunity, right? You're seeing everything you see is just another opportunity. Oh, well, I got fired. I'll start my own thing. Oh, this acne thing. I need to figure out how to make this cheaper. 100%. Hundred percent. I look at the bright side of things. Like mm-hmm. you get to choose. I get to choose. I can look at what went wrong and sit in misery and do absolutely nothing, or I can say, you know what, this door closed. How many other doors are open? Uh, that's just the way that I'm wired and I've trained myself to be, and uh, it's become a pretty good, strong asset. So from the time that I got fired, I got into a number of different businesses. I saved enough money. I invested in a in a transmission shop, which was a chain. It was uh, a franchise at the time uh, with somebody else who was the majority partner from, you know, you couldn't make ends meet. And he came for money. I didn't. So I drove tow trucks at night, graveyard shift, uh, just to be able to pay my rent and support myself. And I hustled, man. I hustled. And then I got into construction. Uh, I actually formed a company with a really good friend, a partner, was a general contractor. I did all the marketing and the pitching and the advertising and got awarded significant jobs at 19. We, it's interesting, you know, college works. I actually picked up a roofing job of 18 apartment buildings in Santa Fe Springs without any prior experience. But then I went and found amazing subcontractors that delivered so well that they then gave us the entire job to repaint the exteriors of all of these apartment buildings. It was pretty large. It was I think hundreds and hundreds of units. So, so made a lot of money then at 19, then from there pivoted into different things and did some more construction work, remodeling, but I've always been really good at marketing and advertising. So uh, I formed a number of different companies, you know, it'll take us too much time to explain, but it was always in marketing and advertising. And I slapped my own brand on it, which was really cool but it was in the service industry. In 2010, I wanted to get into the product business. And at the time, Groupon was our a really good customer of ours for our dentists and chiropractors that we had in this marketing, marketing branded marketing campaign that we, uh, that we owned. So Groupon came to us, asked if we could help them with a problem that they had. And that problem was somebody was supplying their teeth whitening to them, was not delivering. And uh, being really passionate about, again, efficiency and making things readily available to people at a great value, performance parity, but then, you know, quality performance parity at a great value is important. So I got excited about it. And I said, yes, we figured it out and we did an amazing job. There was five of us at the time. And uh, with the team that I had, which was my core team, the five people, we I think we shipped out 34,000 units of teeth whitening kit to Groupon customers. So we had piles and piles of stuff at the office. And it was a lot of fun. That early stages of a business, Matt, is so awesome, isn't it? Where you're doing stuff, you're printing labels, you're sticking it on, you're putting well, it in. Well, I, I, I think it was awesome at the time. I'm beyond that now because I've had, I think, 11 startup businesses and it is brutal too, right? And at uh, 52, even with your beautiful skin and your beautiful teeth, um, (laughs) it's hard to do the startup. It's easier to do a startup before you have kids. 
It's easier to do a startup if you already have kids before they're of that age where you're going to all the games. It gets easy again when the kids are gone. Pasha's out of your house. I've got another year and a half with Kennedy here and it'll get easy again. But the startups are rough. And if you look at the, you're, you're kind of fishing, right? You're out there dropping a lot of lines. And this is a great story for people that want to get into entrepreneurship because your story, my story, every story is unique. You're right. You said that. But there's also a lot of commonality. You're searching, you're trying, and you find the things you're good at. So, you know, you're good at construction, you're good at working with your hands, but you kept looking. And then you had the transmission business, and then you get into marketing. And that's that's where you found your your niche because you're using your brain, you're analyzing, you're reading trends, you're having discussions, you're reading the the focus groups and you're figuring out where the world is going next. And you know, you're good at that. You figure out how to show people where the world's going next. You figure out how to show people how you can solve whatever problem where the world's going next. And so you've got this marketing business and I don't know why you wanted to get into products, maybe from back in the day when you're in Beverly Hills paying way too much for the acne medicine, but about, Halfway through our friendship, by the way, I think that was at the halfway mark that you went into yep. products in mm-hmm. 2010. You move into the teeth whitening, and then that that's kept going. From yeah, I mean, I again, I you know, I went to so got in teeth whitening, did great. I went to uh, a few shows. Somebody used the product, which was a facial exfoliator, and this lady is like, "Please try it. Trust me, you're going to be pleased." And I tried it, but when we got into products, I. I'm the kind of person I'm like, and my team as well, which is, they're amazing. We're like, we're never going to sell anything that we don't believe in ourselves, that it doesn't have efficacy, that it actually makes a difference. It doesn't have to be, we would never sell anything that is gimmicky. So I use this thing. I'm like, wow, it's actually really cool. So as I brought it back home, a few samples, I realized that if I use it on a frequent basis, if I incorporate it in my daily routine, my acne situation got even better And my son used it. And he loved it. So we brought a first batch of that product in, sold out instantaneously. And then we went hunting for other products that uh, should be included in someone's beauty routine from head to toe. And we're like, why does it only have to be limited to your, you know, your, your facial skin? Why can't it be a toothbrush? Toothbrush is a part of you brush your teeth. You hope, right? And uh, a scale. We do all sorts of beauty devices and we're starting to get into some consumables. And it's been a lot of fun. And again, big emphasis around the fact that we uh, believe that products should actually deliver what they claim they do. And they've got to be at a really good value. And we stand behind them. It's been amazing. And that journey has gone from selling one or two products to then tens of thousands of products and zip forward 10 years later, we're now, I think last year we shipped out to about a half a million, a little over a half a million customers, new customers, Wow, which was amazing. And this is mostly in the U S but now abroad as well. And again, I, I know that you're passionate about infusing, you know, the drive into the people that are listening. And for all of you listeners out there, I got to tell you, start small. You put one foot in front of the other. If you don't have the resources like me, everyone's situation is unique. And then you see how much you can scale up in the right direction. So we have millions of customers now that we have served. We, again, like on an average, we send out hundreds of thousands of orders and we're still growing substantially. Then it pivoted into retail. We're now in Walmart, CVS, Bed Bath Beyond. Urban Outfitters, we uh, just uh, started working with Nordstrom. We're going to get into Net-A-Porter because our products, we have entry-level products that are, uh, that their value is great and that fits the mass market. Then we have products for the mid-level uh, enthusiasts and also the higher tier that people want to spend more and get more features. So. Where uh, I'm just just wondering, enthusiast. So does that mean I am not a beauty enthusiast because I don't own any of those products? And why don't you have it? You sent me some of this shit. Look at me. Look at me. You use an electric toothbrush. You are enthusiast. You already look good. I got a red face, man. I need your help here. I had had to go to the doctor and get lasered the other day. Did not know what I was getting into there. 
That's what oh, happens. That's painful, man. I've done that. Yeah, that's it what, is. That's what painful. happens when you listen to your wife telling you what to do. Um, so I want to get back to the starting of the business uh, and and how all this stuff comes together with that vision that you had. You know, you're, you're 16, 17 is a lot of people's 22, 23. You're kind of thrown out there into the world. You know, a lot of people kind of crawl out. Um, but you had this thought, you, you're going to have an office one day. You're going to have a team. You want to help people out. You, know, you want to impact people. How did you form your kind of your values? And they've been the same as long as I've known you form your values. And how did you convey that to the people you work with and draw on the right people while you're building your business? I think by example, leading by example, I think I can give people lip service all day long. But, dude, I've had my ass kicked in the process. You're right. It's not. Listen, life is not always on the up and up. But but I've kind of. Again, chosen when I've had my ass kick, I'm like, oh, great. This is for a good lesson. What did I learn? How do I, you know, what's the learning from this and how do I change it? But you mentioned how do I infuse that into my team? I I literally lead by example. I'm a, I work really hard and I'm passionate and I'm very, very passionate about my team. Uh, I know without them, I wouldn't be able to do crap. Like, honestly, one man show never works. And my team knows that. They know that I have their back. I'll go to war for them. And uh, I support them. I support their families. Uh, you know, what I mean is like their families and their life always comes first. But, uh, you know, and we've, we have real relationships. We talk to one another and and they've uh, they've been instrumental in, the, in our success to date. So but did you consciously did you consciously decide who you were and what you stood for and then go find like-minded people or did it evolve and you figured out who you were and what you stood for and there just happened to be those people around you I kind of put my head down do my thing and I think in life whatever frequency whatever page you're on you're just going to attract like-minded people All right so and yeah. I, I agree and I, that was me at first. And then I wrote it down and started talking about it and yep. used that as a filter. So I think it works both ways. And I think it's interesting, uh, just relationships. So Olga's a girlfriend of yours from years ago, and she's still in your house helping you remodel the home. I haven't seen her for a while, but I remember her fondly. And you still have this relationship with someone. Usually when people are dating and they don't date anymore, they don't stay friends. And you and I, you know, we were pretty close friends years and years ago. And then we, you know, only saw each other once a year. And then we decided, okay, we're going to see each other more often. So talk to me about how you, um, how you develop this uh, ability to maintain relationships and how someone else that maybe is not as good at maintaining relationships as you are could learn to be. Dude, I got to tell you, for me, it's all about love. Honestly, it's all about love. I think love is the answer to a lot of things in life. And, uh, I think our egos get in the way. We start thinking that my way is better than the other person's way, or I'm right and they're not. And, you know, there's all of these conflicts, right? As a human race, I think we were, we're conflicted where we segregate, we put layers on and, uh, or in relationships, we think where one is right and the other one is wrong. And I think if you strip all of that away, by the way, I, I fall into that trap myself all the time, right? But at the end of it, I keep going back to my heart. I keep appealing to that side where I'm like, you know, just because something didn't work out doesn't mean that there is no love for the other person. And uh, same thing for the team. Uh, same thing for my son. And I, I, I just think that life for me is a lot easier. And I believe in, I'm really, really passionate about my relationships, my friendships. You and I, again, 20 years when you reached out and you said, listen, we're just not getting together as often as we should. And this is bullshit and we need to change it. That was awesome. How cool was that? Right. That was, that was pretty damn cool. And we got to go see the, yeah. the car show for the first time ever up in Carmel. And none of us knew that that's where we were going. Exactly. Yeah. But, but I, I'm thinking, and I'm just thinking about someone in their car right now, listening to this. This is, you know, it's a long story. It's a lot of intricacies and it sounds too easy. You know, it sound it doesn't sound too good to be true because it does sound good. You went through a lot of stuff, but it sounds too easy. What am I missing? What are the little, the devils in the details? So do you go and talk to a therapist to figure this out? Did you go and go walk like Cain and sit under a tree and ponder it? Did you read a book? How did you figure out 
it's all about love. And how did you figure out that everything that was interfering was the ego? And if you could let go of the ego, you'd have better relationships. If you can let go of the ego, you could understand people better. If you could learn to love, you could and learn to forgive. You could maintain great relationships, even if things didn't go perfectly all the time. How'd you figure that out? Yeah. So I figured that out when I got my ass kicked again. And <laughs> at 40, I think you remember at 40, I had a massive business challenge. Then you mentioned Olga and, you know, we were in a great relationship for a number of years. We broke up and I'm like kind of in bed, can't sleep, staring at the ceiling. And I'm freaking desperate at that point. Right. I'm, starting to lose my confidence. I'm like, oh man, I'm getting old and, you know, I'm never going to be in a good relationship. And, you know, this was it. And, and then business and, you know, I started telling myself all of this stuff, right? The more I told myself, the more I got dragged down. So I'm like, I got to do something about it. I, I, this doesn't sit well. This is not me. I need to make a radical, I think to get a radical uh, result, you need to do something really radical. So I, uh, Found out about the Hoffman Institute, which is awesome. I think a lot of the guys in YPO, whom you know, might have gone to it. It was my first time. Like I, I did some therapy, couples therapy, and stuff like that, which was great. And I think there was a great lesson in learning and everything. But I went to Hoffman. It was seven or eight days. Eight days, our process at the time. And Matt, it was the coolest thing. I realized that you look at all of these people from different ages, different skin tones, different backgrounds, different cultures, different belief systems. First day that we got there, you look around and you start, you're like, okay, that person I think is this, the other person I think is that. And you have all of these visual judgments that you're making about who you see and what life is. By day two or three, dude, it was brilliant. You saw nothing but amazing human beings like and it, it it was great because the way they do it is through a lot of like you know visualization and you know spiritual work it's non-religion based which you know which is great because it welcomes everyone but when when they strip you of all of that and nobody's allowed to talk about their families or you know i'm saying about their businesses and what they do and what they have materialistically and it, it was just so brilliant. You realize at the end of the day that we're all the same. Every human being, we're all the same. We come in different shapes, sizes, forms, whatever that we talked about. But we're all the same. And there's just amazing beauty that I hope for everyone to experience when you strip out all the layers and you become you and you no longer operate in the fear and you're, you're transparent and you're vulnerable and you're kind of like showing love, the amount of love that you get back. So that that was the start of it for me. It changed the way that I look at myself and I look at others. Well, that was the start. That was the start of that phase. You, you got back to the beginning. So you got your ass kicked. You're back in Iran. You're having to escape. Um, you're, you're suffering. You're making it. You're figuring it, you're reflecting, you're finding yourself. And then when you're in Iran, you come to the U.S. and boom, you have that new experience. Now that we're older, we have to go to these places like the Hoffman Institute or I go up to Philip Moffat up in San Francisco and have to spend four days meditating with him because my friends say I'm a dick. And what do you know? I have that same epiphany. And then I start fighting with my wife and I go talk to Philip Moffat again. So you found a place to find yourself. And I think that's important because you look at your journey, you find yourself. We don't know who we are even yet. I mean, we're pretty introspective. We've done a lot of spiritual journey journeying um, for people our age. We probably know ourselves more than most, but wisdom comes with age and experience. And so you right. thought you knew yourself and. Iran, and then you thought you knew yourself in Austria. Then you thought you knew yourself when you moved to the U.S. And then you thought you knew yourself in these in this marketing business. And when we knew each other, and then you reinvent yourself in the product business. Then you get your butt kicked again, and you reinvent. And that's the process to life. And a lot of people listening right now think that they're going to find their career and get it done and be 35 and retired. And that's just not the way it works because you're constantly evolving. And what you find is is a new um, Alex or a new Matt or a new whoever you are listening and you make the most of that. And then you find another new one. And so you found these people to kind of pull it out of you. And now we're getting ready probably for another one here coming soon. Yeah. Be- and how awesome is that? Right. Yeah. How awesome is that? I think that's actually like the 
fun part about life that you're evolving constantly and you're rediscovering yourself. And as long as you're going in the right direction, I think this is how I, at least I look at myself and I measure myself. If I look in the rear view mirror, have I progressed or digressed? If I'm taking a step forward, great. That's, that's, you know, that's all that matters. And you can be passionate and you say that I want to retire in 35 and get after it and give it everything that you have. And, and uh, I think the other amazing part of life is as we grow, we shift, we go through changes, other things become more important to us. And, and it's all necessary. It's great. Dude, when I was 20, I was aggressive. I mean, I was after it, right? That's your, that's your prime hunting season. I think you become better hunters when you get older, which is good news for everyone, uh, the younger audience that is listening to this. And and uh, and again, it's I think it's all about perspective. Change your perspective, your life will change. Every morning, wake up, change your perspective about your day. You get to choose literally in the morning. What do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? You could either go down a rabbit hole in a negative way and then it'll snowball or you say today is my own movie and I'm going to make a positive one out of it. And that's you get that. to choose. Yeah. I wake up every day and I think three positive thoughts. And if I don't, I have a different outlook as I get out of bed, but before I get out of bed to force myself into that positive mindset, because you get to choose, like you said, a few times you get to choose. You typically, I end the show with uh, um, what's the biggest sacrifice you made in your youth that you would never regret. And I was wondering if I should ask you that, but I'm going to ask you that. Yeah. What's the biggest sacrifice you made? A lot of times it's I didn't go to Spain with my family and I stayed home and started a company. Yours might be a little different than that. What's the biggest sacrifice you made that you would never regret and you would sacrifice all over again? Oh, that was, dude, hands down. It was waking up in the middle of the night to uh, take care of my son when he was uncomfortable. It was changing his diapers when he needed it. It was spending time with him, taking away from work to be with him. Uh, and then that would mean that I would have to work later at night. If I were to go back, I would do it over and over and over and over again. Because uh, life, uh, one of our mutual friends, actually, Sergio, said this. Everything is about a bank account. The more you deposit, the more you can withdraw. You just can't show up and say, hey, you put your card in an ATM machine. There was no deposit. So relationships are like that. And I made a lot of what I thought to be sacrifices at the time to spend more time with my son and dude, he's 22. He, you know, we still hang out. He wants to hang out with his dad, which is awesome. We go on trips together. We do road trips. He, he was just here actually for a few nights, just left. So yeah, I think for me, that would be the biggest one. All right. Well, Alex, I know you got to get on to making yourself and others beautiful. So I'm going to respect your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. I appreciate you getting something nice for my beautiful 17-year-old daughter who's celebrating her birthday tonight. And I will look forward to seeing you very soon. Thank you for coming on the Edge of Excellence. I really appreciate you, buddy. This was awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.